0: Revelation chapter 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You guys can be seated. Please pray with me before we look at this text together. Father in heaven, we praise you that even as the cross behind us is unshrouded now and shines empty, that Jesus is neither on the cross nor in the tomb, but that he in bodily form is seated beside you in the heavenly places. And Father, you know, even more than we do, how that boggles our minds. We praise you that your Son, whom you sent as Savior of the world, has accomplished redemption and it is finished. We praise you, Father, that even now you have promised that you would send your Spirit into this world and into the hearts of those who profess faith in you, that the eyes of our hearts might be opened, that we might know the hope to which we have been called. The fact that we are counted as riches to you, your glorious inheritance, and that there is a great power at work in us. You have said that it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Holy Spirit, we have just sung that that power is you. And we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are at work now. That you are at work even when we don't see and even when we don't understand. Father, we ask that as we gather as your church here online, you would pour out your spirit on us so that we would be able to comprehend the unity that we share, not because of our physical proximity, but because you are abiding life in us and you join us together as living stones. Father, I pray for the women and the men in our midst who struggle to believe that to receive that and to experience that lord jesus we praise you today that you are alive but as you walked on this earth that you were a man who was full of sorrows and who was acquainted with grief lord jesus would you comfort the hearts of those who are grieving those who are fearful than those who are anxious. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your patience and your kindness, even as you made yourself known to your disciples in that room after your resurrection, and in your generosity offered your scars. And we praise you that even in their disbelief, they erupted with joy. And Holy Spirit, we ask you now, would you work among us so that we might too erupt with joy at the thought of your resurrection, Jesus, that you are alive. Holy Spirit, it's your job. Jesus has told us that it's your job to come and to make him visible to us through your word. And we praise you that it's not on us. And so, Father, I ask for those men and women who are tuning in, who do not yet know you in all of your saving grace, that, Holy Spirit, you would make the Father's love known by clearly portraying Christ to us today as neither walking on this earth nor hanging on the cross, nor laying in the tomb, but seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for his triumphal return. Lord Jesus, use your word in our lives now, we pray. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you're anything like me, Or if I'm anything like you, we've spent more time in front of our video devices in the last year than we have in this in this last few weeks than we have in the entire last year. I don't know how many times I've sat and thought, man, I wish that I owned stock in Zoom. Uh, I can still find myself trying to see how I look on camera. I keep trying to look into the camera and then look down at the device and back up to the camera, just trying to catch my face. It doesn't ever work, uh, but I keep trying it nonetheless. Mita and Louisa were laughing this week at a post earlier in the week. It was a picture of Matthew McConaughey, excuse me, excuse me, Professor McConaughey on a video call. He had on these big headphones and he was slouched in his chair, intently staring into the screen. And the caption read something like this. If this is what Matthew McConaughey looks like on Zoom, what do you think you look like? (laughs) And wanting in on the joke... I asked what they were laughing at and they showed it to me and simultaneously they said, you won't get it, dad. But I protested. No, I get it. And the truth is, we all get it because we are all image conscious. We'd like to blame social media for that, but it really works the other way around, doesn't it? Strava, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, they all thrive because it's true and we all know it image is everything. Would it surprise you to hear that the Bible actually supports this truism, even while it corrects our understanding of it at the same time? Image is everything, but not your image or mine, but Jesus's. Easter is a time when our focus ought to be on Jesus, and the Bible ends with a very specific and enduring image of him and it is that image that i'd like us to focus on for a few minutes this afternoon i hope to show you through this passage that how you picture jesus is is of supreme importance not just at easter but every day and especially during times of suffering and hardship and trials jesus is not only the access point for christianity And by that, I mean that if you're still trying to figure out what Christianity is about, your greatest need is to discover who Jesus is. But Jesus is also the focal point of Christianity, not just the access, but the focal point. Just like when you go to the eye doctor and she asks you over and over, is it clearer now? How about now? The writer of Revelation, John, But ultimately, the Holy Spirit turns this shocking image of Jesus over and over nearly 30 times in these closing chapters of the Bible in order to leave us with 4K clarity regarding Jesus. Now look, before we dive into this image of Jesus, I want to say three brief statements about the book of Revelation. First is this. It's unlike any other book in the Bible, though it borrows its images almost entirely from the other books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. It's an example of a form of literature called apocalyptic literature, like parts of Daniel and Ezekiel, Isaiah and Zechariah. Scholars believe that this form of literature, this form of writing is Babylonian in origin It's based on visions and at its core offers readers symbolic explanations of past, present, and future events with regard to the battle between good and evil. But, and this is my second point, unlike secular apocalyptic writings, John's revelation, as well as the other biblical examples of apocalyptic literature, John's revelation is unique within the larger genre specifically because of the emphasis placed on the constant reign of the creator God who sovereignly controls all things. That makes John's revelation specifically different than all others. John's revelation doesn't simply illustrate the tension between good and evil, but rather fits that tension within the overall reality of God's complete command and his redemptive actions throughout all history. And finally, and thirdly, John wrote this book, and God gave this book to his church, the bride of Christ, in this world, the church in her suffering, sometimes alongside the world, like now with the coronavirus, and sometimes in her suffering because of the world, during eras of persecution. John envisions the seven churches of chapters two and three as the worldwide church. And the theme of this book for the church in all ages and today for us is that your faith might endure. We the church need this book, not to identify every image specifically, but rather to help us study the world and the times in which we live from God's perspective with Jesus at the center so that our faith in him might endure. And it's to this image of Jesus I want to look with you now. Chapter 5 opens in the throne room of heaven as described in chapter 4. God is enthroned. He's holding a scroll or a book and an angel asks, who can open it? This book is best understood as an amalgamation of the scroll in the book referenced in Ezekiel 2 and Daniel 12. A scroll containing both judgment and redemption. And John weeps because no one is found who can open it. No one who can begin making all things right. No one who can judge injustice and who can redeem a lost humanity. Who is it that can make this world right? Suddenly, a mighty angel stops John and directs his attention to the one who can open it, the Lion of Judah, referenced from Genesis 49, the root of David, the source of the man after God's own heart. The conqueror, we're told, finally strength and power, ability and royalty just like us. Those who depend on influence and politics to make everything right. Finally, the lion king, or could we say the tiger king, gets his due. But wait, in walks Jesus as a lamb, as one slain, standing between the creator and his creation. He takes the scroll and the rest of the book of Revelation envisions the the events that take place as Jesus opens the book of judgment and redemption as his kingdom comes. From here on in this final book of the Bible, the image of Jesus as the lamb prevails, referenced nearly 30 times. Why a lamb? Why a lamb who has obviously been slaughtered? Where's the power in that image? Where's the strength? Is this how you think of Jesus? Is this how you picture him? Why is this the enduring image of Jesus with which the Bible ends? Let's let these three stanzas of praise recorded here answer these questions. First, we're gonna see that he is a lamb who is alive, though he has been slain. Second, we'll see that he is a lamb empowered. And third, we're gonna see the lamb enthroned the first reason sung by these heavenly beings sung by those in heaven representing creation the four living creatures and specifically the 24 elders who represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples first is the is that the lamb is worthy because he is a lamb who has been slain The ambiguity of the initial description in verse 6, as though he had been slain, is removed in verses 9 and 12. This lamb was slain, and there's no question about it. So let's pick it apart. It might be best and easiest for us now to envision an elementary school play where the children are dressed up, okay, and their characters are obvious, but so is their identity, right? Jesus is the lamb. The lamb, the most consistent identity given in scripture to humans in relation to God. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures, reads Psalm 100. His sheep, his flock, as some of you in the older generation rightly call the church. But this name is given because of our need, our obstinacy, and our disobedience. Not because we are soft and cuddly. Sheep need a shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Because sheep wander, we all like sheep have gone astray. And in flocks, we cause each other to wander all the more. The initial question in verse 2 was, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy to bring about the justice we humans so desire? And the redemption we humans so require. John's mourning was because there were no sheep, no humans capable of doing this. None either singularly or in a set who could fix what we had broken. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able. No politicians, no political parties, no military leaders, no social influencers. But in walks Jesus as a lamb. One of us clothed in our humanity, in our lambiness, if you will. There is one human in heaven in bodily form today, and it's Jesus, the Lamb of God. And Jesus' humanity must be remembered so that we don't think that we're the ones who will make everything right, not as one individual or as one political party. Listen, you're right in believing that the party that you don't agree with doesn't have the ability to fix this world. You're right, but neither does the party that you do agree with. Jesus's humanity ought to lead to our humility because his becoming human was necessary. There was no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who could do it. No one who could bring the justice desired and the redemption required. But notice, it's not his intellect or his insight, not his teaching or his examples that is highlighted here, but rather his scars. The Barnes family loves our scars. Every one of our scars tells a story. Our children's scars, of which, thank the Lord, Louisa has the fewest, remind me and Mita that we have actually improved in our parenting over time. Some scars elicit the laughter of stupid decisions, while others produce in us the awe that is appropriate of the marks of bravery or courage or resistance in the face of human evil. The scars of this lamb immorialized in the song of praise recorded in verses 9, 10, and 12 are of that awe-filled kind. His scars were not mere flesh wounds, but those resulting from the blows of death and destruction, from the blades of judgment, and from the very hand of God himself. As Isaiah writes, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. These are the scars of death. But wonder of wonders, this lamb is standing, taking the scroll from the one who is seated on the throne and initiating global judgment and redemption This lamb is alive. I was listening to This American Life again this week as I worked out in isolation. The theme of one particular show was delight. The guest was a professor of English from Indiana University, a guy by the name of Ross Gay, who spent an entire year of his academic career studying delight. And the result was a volume he entitled The Book of Delights, in which he makes a claim. He says this, he claims that an important part of delight is that of invitation. That by loving something, we offer other people an opportunity to love it too. In this podcast, he recounts a night when he is at a party with some of his friends and one of his friends has brought one of their children and the adults were all inside and they hear this child cry from the outside, come out here, come out here. And he says, boom, like that, we all bust outside. And as we get outside, we realize and behold with this child a glorious rainbow. Gay recounts, It is as if the child said, come and gasp with me. Come and gasp with me. This is unbelievable. This is the nature of the joy that burst into song of the four living creatures and the 24 elders who with loud voices declare the worthiness of the living Jesus who had been dead. It is as if they said, come and gasp with us. Come and gasp with us. This is incredible. God defines love for us in the giving of his son and the joy of seeing him resurrected alive. Like Luke's account of the disciples who stood in disbelief yet were filled with joy as they touched his scars this love and joy that result in Jesus's declaration of peace, even what Dan was talking about in the passing of the peace, in that very same room when Jesus proclaims peace be with you. Elsewhere, Peter writes that angels hold on to the rim of heaven and gasp as they look into the gospel. But it gets even better The lamb's scars are for us. The living creatures and the elders proclaim, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. It's one thing for our scars to tell a good story. It's an entirely different thing when the scars of another tell the story of rescuing you. And the resurrected Jesus invited his disciples, especially those who doubted, to touch his scars. These are for you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for you and me to ransom us from death, the result of our sin, unto life with the Father. We do not save ourselves. We are saved by another Jesus And he has the scars to prove it. We need this image focused on Jesus's humanity to produce in us humility. This image that focuses on Jesus's humanity produces in us humility. You and I, we are not the Christ. But it's not just humility, it's gratitude as well. Come and grasp with me. Come and gasp with me. This is incredible. The second stanza of praise, which includes the myriad of myriad of angels. What is a myriad of myriad of angels? You should hear, man, that's a lot of angels singing. Proclaim in verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And here we see the lamb with his seven horns and his seven eyes celebrated. As strange as this image is to us, it is entirely consistent with the language of the Old Testament. From the horns that adorn the four corners of the altars and the tabernacle to David's Psalm 18 verse 2 that declare God as the horn of his salvation God gives us this image of a horn to describe even his power. He says says that he is to his people like the horn of a wild ox. And John tells us that the eyes covering the lamb are the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold spirit of God. In both cases, seven represents complete power, wealth, wisdom, and might. Remember. This is the lamb who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Paul says, being born in the likeness of man, a lamb. This is the suffering servant of God from Isaiah, the one who allowed himself to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men. As the angel at the empty tomb declared to the women, when they came to anoint the powerless, dead body of Jesus that was nowhere to be found. He is the one who, though he was taunted on the cross, refused to call that same myriad of angels to rescue him. He is the lamb who allowed himself to be led to slaughter without complaint. The one who gave up his power is now enthroned forever and empowered to empower. Jesus, who has the entire spirit of God, Sends that Spirit in cooperation with the Father to give wisdom and might to His people, to any who ask for it in His name, and in turn to receive from them honor and glory and blessing. He is, as John the Baptist proclaimed, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, is now exalted by God who bestows upon him the name that is above every other name. That name is Jesus. And it means God saves so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Christians, we need to have this image of Jesus as the all-powerful Lamb impressed upon our minds so that we don't forget that this surpassing power is not ours. We don't have the power. Jesus does. We need to stop exalting ourselves and exalt him instead. Jesus, the lamb empowered. We need to counsel each other to go to him, not to straighten up and fly, right? The treasure we have is from him. We are simply jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And on the flip side, We need to stop disguising our weaknesses. But know that in human weakness, Christ's power is made perfect. His grace is sufficient for us. Christian, does your life illuminate your power and ability or Jesus's power and ability? Finally, the last stanza of praise, now sung by all of creation, recognizes this lamb. This one who was slain with the same blessing and honor and glory and might as him who sits on the throne. As we say in the Nicene Creed, this lamb is recognized as true God of true God. Begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. It is the lamb who is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. The lamb is the image of God. Jesus Christ is king, Christ the king. Think about the great leaders of God's people. Moses, a shepherd, David, a shepherd, and now the son of David, the lamb. John writes in Revelation 7, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them. To springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb has become the shepherd. The shepherd king. To him is given the same blessing and honor and glory and might. As given to the one who is seated on the throne. We have a king. King Jesus. And what does this mean? Young people, those of you applying to college, those graduating from high school or college, those of you who feel lost in this new reality, those of you whose dreams seem to have been put on hold or even put out to pasture, those of you who no longer sense a direction or even a future, those of you who feel aimless, rudderless, leaderless, that is not the reality as defined by Revelation 5 or by Easter. Rather, Easter and Revelation 5 remind us that we have a leader. We have a lamb who is our shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep. He is leading us to his desired end where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That very promise implies that until then, we will have tears and death and crying and pain. And while his purposes in these tragic events is often unknown, his participation with us in them is undeniable because of Jesus. This lamb was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who has surely borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And even in the midst of a pandemic, his plan of redemption is undeterred. He has led the way into the very throne room of God where he is our great high priest. As a lamb, he can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't give in. So instead of us giving in to fear and anxiety and selfishness and self-protection, let us rather with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace in our time of need. And with that, the mic is dropped. The four living creatures in heaven say, Amen, it's true. And the elders fall down and worship. They worship him who is seated on the throne and the lamb. The lamb who was slain but is alive. The lamb who has been empowered to empower and the lamb who is enthroned as Christ the King. Happy Easter, Christ the King. He has risen. Please pray with me.